Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favorite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. What you're about to hear is a special episode brought to you in association with eToro. I'm Andrew Musgrove and I've spoken to Dan Taylor. He's the man who's worked with Kevin Keegan over the last year or so to bring out the Newcastle Legends autobiography titled My Life in Football. I've asked Dan about working with KK and the attention the book has got so far. Sit back, pop the kettle on and uh, enjoy. So, Dan, can you tell me about how the book came about, where you approached, whose idea was it? No, the book came completely out of the blue, to be honest. I was talking to a book agent because um, I, I was the journalist at The Guardian who who um, sort of did all the uh, stories that started all the uh, uh, sex abuse scandal, I suppose, for use of a better word in football. And so I was actually talking to a book publisher about whether I should, whether I should end up doing a book on... Um, the whole kind of Barry Bunnell situation um, down at, you know, Manchester City and crew. And that really um, didn't really get anywhere because the court cases were going on at that time. So we sort of just shelved it. But obviously I'd made contact with him and he um, he just got in touch out of the blue, really, and just said basically, you know, he'd been offered, um, or he knew that Kevin Keegan was doing his autobiography and the publisher had gone to him to see if, um, you know, to see if I would be interested in doing it. But I didn't know Kevin at all. Um, my first thought was that, you know, it might be, well, you know, what an exciting sort of project potentially. Um, but my first thought was kind of, you know, really, where 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 does he live? And then I found out he lives 10 minutes down the road from me, which is just a, a, a great coincidence, basically, which made things a lot easier for both of us. And when you got told that Kevin Keegan wanted to do his autobiography, you were kind of approached. I mean, what was the feeling? This is, this is a football legend. Can you describe the emotions? Yeah, yeah. And, and also, I should clarify, when I say he lived 10 minutes down the road, he, he lived in the nice end of the road, um... But uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, absolutely, and and also you know it was just kind of um, you know I got all sorts of emotions, really, but a bit of apprehension, a bit of nerves. You know, I, ne- I didn't know him, so it was it was starting from afresh with a relationship. You know, I, I didn't know what he'd be like. As it, as it turned out, he's been he's been absolutely brilliant, and well, his whole family have been, to be honest. And um, you know, it could have made me feel much more welcome, and you know, kind of be generous with his time and just a great talker and you know great education for me really as a football fan to sort of sit with someone like that and listen to his stories and 
you know, learn from his opinions really, you know, because um, you know you can only learn from someone like that. So, so yes, yeah, so it was a whole it was a whole range of emotions really. And as I say, it, I suppose it's slightly unusual in that sometimes a um, a guy doing the autobiography, you know, will will we'll have a journalist mate or will have someone that they prefer. But Kevin, um, you know, he's not been in football for a while, and so. I don't think he was a big one anyway for for hoarding journalistic contacts. So, so really, I think he just trusted the publisher to pick someone that the publisher thought would might do a good job of it. And you know, luckily for me, they came to me. And obviously, we've seen bits from the book that have been serialised in the in the Times, and we've covered it here at the Chronicle as well. I mean, did you anticipate the attention that Kevin Keegan's second spell at Newcastle would get? Well, I've, there's a slight, uh, I wouldn't say a frustration, but obviously, you know, it's Kevin King's life story, you know, and the biggest problem we ever had was trying to get it all in um, in one book, really. You know, I was asked for 100,000 words. I ended up delivering 130,000. And genuinely, it could have been two books. You know, we had to leave out so much and, you know, just the amount of stuff just to try and squeeze into one book, you know, the, the, what, what he's packed into his life. But, but also, I mean, we, you know, I knew as a journalist as well that the, the attention in terms of the serialisation and the publicity beforehand would would obviously switch or focus on the um, on on Kevin's second time as manager at Newcastle or the Mike Ashley era. So obviously that's a big part of the book. I mean the point I was just trying to make is, you know, it's, it is his life story. So that is only really a um you know, it's a, it's an important part of his life, but it's you know, it's not the it's not um it's not his entire life, you know, put it that way. So but um yeah, I mean when we started on that chapter I knew I knew it was gonna be important. I knew I had to get that part of it um spot on. And um I'll be honest, you know, I was just sitting there and yeah. I mean Kevin uses the word tragic comedy and um he said, you know, just for his own <laughs> sort of state of mind sometimes he would try to laugh about how crazy it was. But I think deep down, you know, he also says, you know, it was also killing him inside to see Newcastle being treated the way it was. And I mean, tragic comedy is, is a good word because it, it is tragic what's happened there. But there are elements of it that, in Kevin's own words, you, you know, you couldn't make up. You know, the the guy who's meant to be the transfer expert when the, when the, and also trying to find a centre-half who basically has never heard of Per Mertesacker, a, a World Cup defender in the Germany team. You know, it's that, that level of, of just really, really... Um, bizarre goings on. I mean, that's just one example that people have picked out, but the, the, the Luka Modric thing, you know, Luka Modric who gets World Player of the Year this week, and but Newcastle decided he wasn't good enough for them. Um, even though a few months before they made that decision, he'd actually played England off the park at Wembley in a Croatia-England game that cost Steve McLaren his job, you know, a very famous game. You know, Modric was absolutely superb that night. Yeah, yet um, Newcastle, or I should say, yet Jimenez and Mike Ashley and those people decided that he wasn't good enough. I think Kevin Keegan, Terry McDermott and quite a few others knew that he was very good enough and would have been exactly the type of player Newcastle wanted. Um, so, yeah, so there's plenty of other... Ex- I mean, where, where I could carry on all day, to be honest. Um, you know, selling James Milner while against his wishes because he thought that they'd got Bastian Schweinsteiger and Kevin having to ring by and, uh, Karl Heinz Rummenigger, sorry, and uh, you know, hearing Karl Heinz Rummenigger laughing down the phone at him, at uh, the, you know, all sorts of horror stories about them trying to get Sammy. He wanted basically he wanted a, an experienced centre half. Um, the rest of the team, he actually thought it was a decent team in the making. Um, the team that he inherited from Sam Allardyce, you know, got Michael Owen, Viduka, Obafemi Martins, and 
Shea Given and people like that. So he wanted an experienced centre half, and um, unfortunately he couldn't um, he couldn't quite um, tally his imp- his impressions of what that needed with with um, the people above him. And I think the thing that people found surprising that this I think it was within two weeks or so that he probably realised this is this is wrong here. This is this is. Um, you know these people that put not Mike Ashley, but the, the staff he'd put in with him and Hans, and you know these people are, are um, uh, well, um, they're, they're not great colleagues, put it that way. I'm being very uh, generous there, and that was within two weeks. Though. So, so in a way, he, he did well lasting as long as he did, really. Um, uh, do you detect that this was the right time for, for Kevin to tell his side of the story? Obviously, uh, tribunal, etc. I mean, do you feel it was the right time for, for Kevin to, to, to tell the people uh, what went on from his point of view? Yeah, and people people have said to me, oh, do you think this was deliberate? I said, no, not at all. You know, he's had 10 years to to, to do this. But he's, it's a book about his whole life. But obviously people... I mean, when we wrote the book, we, we there was a long period where we thought, well, Mike actually... You know, it was in that period when he was meant to be selling to Amanda Staveley. And, you know, we kind of... I was writing the book. I mean, I sent it off quite, you know, a long time ago, really. You know, and um, so I was half... I think both of us were half expecting that... Well, certainly I was, that um, by the time the book came out, Mike actually not be, might not be there. But as, as it is, the timing of it is kind of coincided with the, um, with the point at which Newcastle fans have really kind of gather together again and sort of, you know, the the, the uh, I mean we saw what happened at Crystal Palace at the weekend, you know, this kind of very justifiable protest against the owners and the and the, the regime there. Um has kind of reached ahead just at the time where Kevin's book is coming out. So but I mean we didn't know that, you know, when I when I sent the book off in, in you know, whenever it was sort of March, April time, we didn't know that come September, October he would even be there. You know, we, we um you know, so it, it is actually a coincidence on that part, but also quite a relevant timing as well, I'd say, because I think it, I mean, the stuff that you've probably seen in the serialisation, you know, there's, um, that, that's really scratching the surface, I think, for, for you know, the Times who serialised it had to obviously get it into a short amount of space, but I think they probably could only manage to get a squeeze about a tenth of actually what's in the book into that, into, you know, what what they could um, afford to run in, you know, in, in their page sizes, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there's, there's all sorts more, you know, stories. I mean, even the first, I mean, basically, even the first time they, they met him, I mean, I think it came out later on that they, they, they were taking the mickey out of him, for want of a better description, from day one, really. They were, they were, um, they deliberately lowballed him, which is the phrase that was used to try and get him on the cheap, which I can only imagine is because they they think they thought that um, that he, he might not know what the kind of current salary would be for managers. So I think they were offering him a third of what Sam Allardyce was on. And you know, don't get me wrong, this isn't a kind of Ashley Cole moment. You know, the famous Ashley Cole moment where he complains about the wages he's been offered. But even so, who wants to be offered a third of what the previous guy was on? You know, so it, it, you know, I think I think they actually admitted that that was a deliberate ploy to try and. Um, make him walk into a trap you know but I mean that was the, that was the very first meeting so you know if that's how you start and, just, and, it, and then it goes downhill very quickly from there really obviously in the book there's a bit how, about how he, yeah, how he sneaked in uh, to St James's Park yeah I mean that is the very sad thing I mean you've got Kevin Keegan a legend of the game legend of Newcastle 
someone that I mean, I'm a big fan of George Culkin at the Times there in Newcastle, and he, um, the other Times is North East football guy, and he wrote the other day that you know there should be a statue for Kevin Keegan outside St James's, and uh, I mean as it is, basically one of the stories he tells is having to he has been back once because he came back for a leaving do for for a friend, and he didn't want to let this friend down, so basically he came back and you know he he felt so unwelcome that he actually sort of smuggled himself in and you know kind of it was a dark night and he basically you know put a hat on and his glasses and pulled his collar up and kind of almost went in in disguise basically just to make sure he wasn't seen and then sort of you know got got up to the relevant um sort of executive suite where the where the do was where the function was taking place and you know, I just kind of had to say to him at one point, I said, you know, do, do you not understand the craziness of this situation? You know, you are Kevin King and Newcastle United legend, and you're basically having to smuggle yourself into a stadium that, because of you, is such an incredible sort of monument on the city's landscape. You know, it wasn't, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of it it's down to Kevin that the ground is what it is today. So it's a very weird situation, but as he says, Newcastle is run by very unconventional people and um you know do 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 they care about this i'm not exactly certain they do i'm not i'm not certain even though mike ashley was at a game last weekend for the first time in donkey's years i'm not certain how um how much this this is on his radar really i mean i might be doing him a disservice there but there's not a great deal of evidence that that he's taking a particularly hands-on role with this or that he's concerned about the protests um, you know, so it's it's just a very unsatisfactory situation, really. Um, I don't think it will it will affect how Kevin um, regards um, the Newcastle people or the club itself, because the club isn't Mike Ashley, even if it's in his name above the door. And I don't think it will affect how Newcastle people, you know, see Kevin. And you know, this is a man who, you know, just gets their area, you know, gets how they think and and gets it basically so you know very impressive guy and you know a very big figure up, up, up with you in newcastle and obviously the reaction so far on social media has been has been brilliant you must be quite happy with that yeah yeah no it's uh i mean the reaction has been great i mean it's not obviously it's not out yet and it's number two on the on the sort of amazon bestseller so which is nice but i'm i'm still still trying to get rid of peter crouch who's sort of clinging on in Number one, so I've got to got to sort of try and find a way of shifting him basically. But but yeah, I mean I, I can't you know I, I mean he's a big name, isn't he? You know, he's six years at Liverpool, um, you know, playing sixty odd camps for England, one of the first footballers to go abroad and make a proper success of it. Um, you know, Southampton, Fulham, managed Manchester City, managed England. Um, you know, his career is you know two Ballon d'Ors. You know, obviously, it's it's it, he he is of a level that you know there's going to be considerable interest in it. So so yeah, it's it's been really nice um, to see that. As I say, a slight frustration on two parts: a that the serialisation can't squeeze in all of the stuff about the um, my cashy stuff, so people actually still don't know the proper story. That was just kind of like bits of it, I would say. So until you actually see the proper story, it's hard to to judge it in full. I I think. Um, and secondly, just obviously that. I mean, nobody's mentioned so far. You know, he won the European Cup with Liverpool, and it's all, all that seems to be to have been almost forgotten <laughs> for the time being. So I'm sure that ch- I'm sure that'll change. And you know, we're, we're we're also doing signing events in Manchester on Monday. Um, there's one in 
Liverpool on the Wednesday, obviously, with the big night in Newcastle on the Tuesday night. And, you know, so, so it, it is actually a nationwide, you know, we're going down to London and it is actually a nationwide tour as such, even if the, I think the big event is, is going to be next Tuesday night. Can you just tell me what it was like to, to work with Kiki? You kind of briefly mentioned it going around, around his house and, and, and talking to him, getting it all down for the book. But give, give us an insight into what it was like to work with, with such a man. Well, yeah, it was great. I mean, basically, um, so as I say, I mean, we, the first time we, we just sort of met and had a had a bite to eat one day, first time we met. But obviously, you know, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's probably sizing me up and wanting to know that, you know, I'm not I'm from a different era. So I suppose if I did feel slightly vulnerable, it might be that he might, you know, he's discussing a time where I wasn't there. If you know what I mean. So, so I think I kind of had to slightly prove myself to him as well, to in a in a way of letting him know I did kind of know about football and the industry and stuff for him you know, to, to gain his trust so so hopefully hopefully I managed to get some some way down the line with that but but then I mean then, then after that you know I'll just drive around to his house and usually on a Monday sort of half ten and you know I'd sit in his front room and Jean his lovely wife and his family would would, would often be there and Jean would often you know just bring through a stream of you know bacon um, well, I call them bomb cakes now because I've lived in Manchester so long. But where, where I was originally from in Nottingham, it was cobs. But um, you know, cups of tea, cakes, or you know, she she was great. You know, really, really caring. When I went to the World Cup, she gave me that kind of lucky charm to sort of look after me. And you know, just a lovely family, basically, very close knit. Um, so in a kind of way, I kind of miss. You know, you, can't, you get to the end of that, and then obviously, if, you know, I, you know, I'll obviously see Kevin in the next few weeks, but. You know, you kind of. Um, I'm finding myself almost missing those sessions. You know, because as I say, it was it was nice for me as a football fan and a football journalist to to spend that time with someone that could you know tell me so much, basically. And finally, kind of in a sentence, if you were going to uh, sell the book as it were to Newcastle United fans, what would you be saying? What would you what would you tell them um, about it? For your for your readership, I have to say it is a Newcastle orientated book. I mean. Yes, there's lots on. There's two. There's probably nearly twenty thousand words on his last time at Newcastle. But you'll also, that, but you'll also, that's at the end of the book. You'll also find four chapters in the middle of the book where he also talks about taking over a team that were in danger of dropping into the old third division and bankruptcy potentially, and all sorts of sort of you know horrendous situation in a dilapidated ground with a you know grotty training ground and. Basically, um, you know, get, keeping them up for one thing, then taking them up as champions, then basically, you know, coming as close as they did to win the league. And, you know, I mean, I'm not from Newcastle, as you can probably tell from the accent, but that is a legendary time in football. And, you know, there's, there's, all of that is covered, all of the stuff on Fergie, the, you know, Love It rant, um, the, you know, Andy Cole, the whole share of stuff. There's, you know, it's, there's an awful lot more than just explaining in detail which he does do very well what actually went what actually the exact timetable of what went wrong under Mike Ashley and why he couldn't work for that that regime so so yeah and also I haven't even mentioned yet the fact that he actually did play for Newcastle and he didn't do too badly there either so so yeah so that's all covered earlier in the book so so yeah so you know for, for I don't think to be honest I, I can't sell this book. It's the name Kevin Keegan on the front of the book sells it. You know, in in Newcastle, as you know, I could I could try and tell you how how you know however pleased I am with it or anything. But ultimately, it's it's Kevin's name and face on the front of the book that I think will sell it to the Newcastle public. Hopefully. 
This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big, short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.